Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. You'll also hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and it's August 5th. The Women Air Force Service Pilots, or WASP, was formed on this day in 1943. Okay, so think about some of the things that a pilot needs to do during a war. Some of it's obvious, right? A pilot needs to fly combat missions, flying troops and supplies into and out of combat areas, doing recon. But there's also a lot of work that's not as obvious if you're not already a pilot or maybe in the military, like flying the newly built airplanes from a factory to their departure point or testing these new planes to make sure that they are working correctly or when a plane has been repaired, making sure that the repairs are done correctly. Towing targets for target practice. That one is actually my favorite. You need a lot of pilots to do all of this work. And during World War II, there was a problem. They needed more pilots. And so the whole idea was that they would recruit women to do this less obvious non-combat work to free the men up for combat flying. The WASP was formed when two other previously existing groups combined together. One of the groups was the Women's Auxiliary Ferrying Squadron, which had been organized by Nancy Harkness Love, and the other was the Women's Flying Training Detachment, which had been arranged by Jackie Cochran. When the two merged, Cochran became the WASP's director. To be eligible to join the WASP, women needed to be between the ages of 21 and 35, and they already needed to have a pilot's license. Flying was actually kind of a hobby for a lot of people at this time. Flying clubs had become really popular. Some women lived on farms or in other rural areas, and they had flying experience from flying crop dusters. But you needed to have more than that to get a pilot's license, and that meant that a lot of women were paying for their own training so that they could join the WASP. And then once they did join, then they had to get through further training, really intense training program, to be able to do this work. These were the first women to fly aircraft for the U.S. military. They flew virtually every type of aircraft that the military was using, and more than a 1,000 women served in the WASP during World War II. 38 of them died during their service, 11 of them during training, and 27 during missions. Since they weren't considered part of the military, though, even though they were doing work that was definitely connected to the military, these women, when they died during service, weren't given any kind of burial coverage. They weren't giving military honors at their funerals. So when deaths did happen, usually it was their fellow WASP who raised the money to send their bodies home and to pay for their funerals. The whole idea at the beginning, though, had been that the WASP were eventually going to become part of the military. But on June 21st of 1944, Congress actually voted that idea down. About six weeks later, it was announced that the WASP were going to be completely disbanded, and the program ended on December 20th of 1944. The last class of trainees had just graduated a few weeks before. Everyone was sent home, and this was a huge blow to all the women involved. A big reason for this disbanding was that it looked like the war was coming to a close really soon, and a lot of male pilots were worried about their jobs. So the program was ended to preserve those jobs for the men who would be returning from the front. 
The WASP, though, to end on a happier note, were finally granted military status in 1977. And in 2009, the WASP were awarded the Congressional Gold Medal, at which point about 300 of them were still living, and more than 200 attended the ceremony in Washington, D.C. You can learn more about the WASP in the March 21st and 23rd, 2016 episodes of Stuff You Missed in History class. In those episodes, I interview Dr. Katherine Sharp Landick about their history. Thanks to Tari Harrison for her audio skills in these episodes. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We'll be back in World War II tomorrow, although we'll be looking more at the end of the war. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was August 5th, 1600. John Ruthven, 3rd Earl of Gowrie, and his younger brother Alexander Ruthven died under mysterious circumstances. The incident became known as the Gowrie Conspiracy. Back in 1566, Patrick Ruthven, 3rd Lord Ruthven, and his son William were involved in the murder of David Rizzio, the private secretary of Mary, Queen of Scots. William, 4th Lord of Ruthven, was pardoned, and he was made Lord Treasurer of the Realm in 1571. And in 1581, he was named 1st Earl of Gowrie by James VI, the King of Scotland, and the son of Mary, Queen of Scots. The year after William was named Earl, he led the Raid of Ruthven, a plot when King James VI was held captive at Ruthven Castle for several months while the Earl remained at the head of government. The Earl was pardoned, but he continued to plot against the King and was eventually executed in 1584. His oldest son, James, 2nd Earl of Gowrie, died in 1588, and John Ruthven became the 3rd Earl of Gowrie when he was a child. So, the relationship James VI had with the Ruthven family was a fraught one, to say the least. James also owed the Ruthvens a considerable amount of money, as the 1st Earl of Gowrie had advanced money to the crown. On August 5, 1600, James set out to hunt in Falkland. According to James's version of events, while he was out, Alexander Ruthven approached him and said that he and his brother John had met a man carrying a pot of gold coins in the field outside Perth. The king agreed to ride out to Perth to investigate the man. Once the royal party got to the gallery house in Perth, they ate a meal and Alexander took the king up the main staircase into a turret room. But when he got there, instead of meeting a man with a pot of gold, he found Gowrie's servant, Henderson, who was armed. Alluding to the execution of his father, the first Earl, Alexander threatened to kill the king with Henderson's dagger if he opened a window or called for help. Alexander left the room and told the king's party that he had left. Alexander soon returned to the room where Henderson and the king were, and the conflict resumed. But James cried treason and called for help, and his followers, who saw the struggle at the window, came upstairs to help him. The Ruthven brothers were killed in the ensuing struggle. 
The king made it out alive, and the corpses of the brothers were later hanged and quartered, their body parts put on spikes. Many people did not believe James's story, and it's still not clear whether the conspiracy was by the Ruffins or against them. Maybe the Ruffins planned to seize the king and failed, or maybe James was conspiring to get rid of the Ruffins and his indebtedness. Or the Ruthmans could have upset James in some way that led to an unplanned struggle. The circumstances surrounding the conspiracy were investigated, but the true explanation for the events of August 5th remains a mystery. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Tune in tomorrow for another day in history. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.